2: a Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications.
3: There's a crisis facing America's farms, and that includes farms right here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Tina Carlin is the communications director of Farm Women United. She tells Intercom's Nikki Stone about the crisis and how you can help by attending an upcoming hearing in Lairdsville on July 24th.
4: I have... Tina Carlin talking about a very important hearing that's coming up on July 24th. Hi, Tina. How are you? I'm good, Nikki. How are you? I am good. Now, there's a crisis in the dairy industry. A serious crisis. Yes, there is. And and, and can you explain how this, what is going on with the crisis? Well, what is happening in the dairy
0: industry is that um, the powers that be are not paying the dairy farmer the price that they deserve for their product. It is um, the cost of production for 100 pounds of milk, which is 11 and two-third gallons, just so that the consumer understands. Um, it costs 23 to $25 to produce that 11 and two-third gallons of milk. The farmers are currently getting anywhere from 13 to $15 dollars for that same 11 and two-thirds gallons of milk. So in a sense, they're losing anywhere from $7 to $10 a month, or $7 to $10 per 100 pounds of milk. Oh,
4: so, 100 pounds of milk. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And how many pounds of milk are, are you... So you're talking like $70,000 a month? Wow.
0: Um, some farms are moving, are losing anywhere on the average of twenty dollars to $50,000, depending on the farm size. Wow. And there's so many deductions that are taking out of it. Um, the processors basically hardly pay anything at all. The farmers have to pay for their trucking. They have to pay something that is called a make allowance. Um, they have to pay for advertising where the processor should be paying for all these things. And the processor. So in a sense, the farmers don't get what they deserve.
4: Okay. So the, the it's the processors that are they are um, they're pretty much putting it in the bottles and sending it out the door
0: yes and 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 the processors um or the cooperatives that the farmers may belong to um they take a big chunk of the money too a lot of the cooperatives consider themselves to be the producer and not the farmer
4: so the okay so when we're paying what what is it 350 a gallon if that
0: Yes, you're you're paying roughly around depending on the area, three fifty a gallon. Um out of that three dollars and fifty cents a gallon, the farmers get slightly over a dollar of that gallon, depending on where you get it at. Now with Walmart, Walmart they can have the the milk a gallon of great value milk and they can have in a gallon of, um, say, um, pure life milk which is from the Lehigh Valley area, mm-hmm. Lehigh Valley Creamery, they are produced in the same plant. Yet Walmart will sell it for anywhere from two to two dollars to two fifty, and the name brand Dairy Pure, they will—I guess it's Dairy Pure—they will—they um, will have three dollars and fifty-nine cents or something like that on a gallon. So in a sense, Walmart can go in and undercut
4: the farmer.
0: The uh, yeah, they undercut because um, even though it's the milk from the same plant, same farmers, Walmart takes what they call a lost leader. Do you... And in a sense, that robs the farmers.
4: Oh, okay, I was going to say, now, so you won't get your dollar per gallon off of that then? Uh, you, you will still get your dollar
0: off a gallon, but it should be more than that dollar. Sh- you should get more than a dollar is what I'm
4: trying so to if say. You, if you tried to raise the price, so we should probably be paying, what, $455 a gallon?
0: Um, no, not necessarily. Um, right now there is, um, some legislation that we're trying to get introduced that will, um, have a $20 emergency floor price under fluid milk, which is the bottled milk. Uh, and basically all that would mean for Pennsylvania, for Pennsylvania, um, it would mean that your milk would be $3.58 a gallon, which is roughly what it's running now, if the farmer's got that $20 per hundred emergency floor price that would be something better than the 13 to 15 that they're getting now but not quite cost of production but it would help them to pay off some more bills because that's why the suicide rate is so high is because the farmers are not be are not able to make their payments and it's not just the farmers it trickles on down to the businesses that they deal with Because I know in the last several months, I know of three dairy farmers and one agribusiness that there have been suicides in. And the agribusiness man, if he would have gotten what, you know, his monthly payments from the people that owe him money, the dairy farmers, Mm -hmm. he would have been able to be okay. But the stress just was too much. And it's getting harder and harder every day for the dairy farmer.
4: How is this public hearing going to help? Well,
0: this public hearing is going to bring to light a lot of different aspects of what's going on in the dairy industry. Uh, there's uh, a lot of the processors that take and they take the butterfat off of the milk and they turn that into powder, which is called milk protein concentrate, or uh, is, and that's the powdered form. The liquid form is ultra-filtered milk. And then in a sense what they do with that is cheese makers use that in the cheesemaking process. It takes 100 pounds of milk to make 10 pounds of cheese. They add this MPC with it, and they can get, they add it to that 100 pounds, and they get anywhere from 14 to 18 pounds of cheese. But the cheese is an inferior cheese. It does not taste like a good cheese. It has, um, it doesn't melt as nice one one instance that has no protein concentrated in it is Velveeta cheese. That's why it sits out on the shelf and not in the refrigerated section because it has this MPC in it. Okay. And it's that is something else that is robbing the farmers too.
4: Ah, oh, okay. So you're looking at ways in educating the public on what yes. can be done, and so and yes. something needs. There needs to be an immediate emergency intervention to stabilize yes. the farmers' milk prices. Yes, yeah. There is problems across the industry with farming. Period. Too, not just yes. with dairy farmers. Now, how could they learn more? Um, they can visit our
0: website, which is www.farmwomenunited.org. Um, They could come to the hearing on the 24th of July. The press release is out about it now, and all the hearing information is on our website. We are also on
4: Facebook. Pardon? I'm just going to repeat where it is. Lairdsville Fire Hall, 143 School Lane, Lairdsville, PA is the address, and that's July 24th, starting at 9 in the morning, going till 5 in the afternoon. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. And it's it's very imperative that people call their congressmen and their senators, especially here in Pennsylvania, um, because Senator Casey sits on the Ag Committee and um, out in uh, Glenn Thompson is on the House Ag Committee. And these two people have the powers that they could do this emergency floor price of $20. We just need to get them to do it, because it's going to take an act of Congress in order for this to happen. And we have been talking with our legislators profusely trying to get them to do this. Um, They just passed the farm bill, and the current farm bill that they just passed has nothing in it to safeguard the dairy farmer. Um, There's regulations that are going to hurt them even more. The farm bill is not very farm-friendly, family farm-friendly.
4: And our family farms are the backbone of Northeast PA, or at least had been at one point, the yeah. backbone of Northeast PA. And it's very important. We want yeah. our supply of fresh, locally produced real milk. That's what yeah. we want. Thank yeah. you, Tina, for checking in. I hope um, things go well on the 24th for you, and we'll try to see you there. All right, Nikki. Thanks a lot. and You have a great day. Take care, Tina.
3: Again, that public hearing is coming up on Tuesday, July 24th in Lairdsville, Pennsylvania from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. You can find out more by logging on to farmwomenunited.org or check them out on Facebook. To special edition, there's a special camping experience coming to Susquehanna County. We find out more about Camp Kesem. Peyton Hafner joins us to tell us what makes the camp and the campers that go there so special.
5: You could begin by telling us a little
3: bit about the program.
5: Camp Kesem is a national nonprofit organization. So there are 106 chapters all across the United States. We serve children who have been impacted by parents' cancer. So, our, um, our campers have a parent who is either in treatment, currently in remission, or has a parent who um, has passed away from cancer. serve all of those children at absolutely no cost to the families. Um, the Central PA chapter is um, run by Penn State student volunteers. We have about 120 volunteers, and this year we hope to serve 120 campers.
3: Now, you said Penn State is involved. How are mm-hmm. they involved? Um, well, we're,
5: we're just all Penn State students. We're actually not affiliated with the university, so that's why it's Camp Kessim Central PA.
3: And what is Camp Kessim? Can you give us a little bit of an overview for anyone? What would campers expect when they get there? Uh, what would be the purpose mm-hmm. of one of them going there?
5: Camp, in a lot of ways, is like any other summer camp that a kid might go to. So we do a lot of of fun programming. There's Messy Olympics, which is pretty much like a giant messy food fight. There's Color Wars, where the the entire camp is split into different teams and competes in competitions. There are rotations, friendship bracelets, arts and crafts. So it's very similar to a summer camp, but something that sets Camp Tesla apart is the emotional programming that we provide. So um, every single night, our um, our campers are broken up into units by age and they're with their, their counselors of that unit. So every night before they go to bed, um, the counselors will kind of lead a question-based um, discussion and they're very simple questions. It's, you know, what are you looking forward to next the next day? What was the best part of, day, of today? What was the worst part? Um, and that's kind of how we start at the beginning of the week and then as the week goes on, they get a little bit deeper. So it's Who's your hero? Um, what makes you strong? Just just things like that that are uh, very open ended, but allow the campers to open up about what they're going what they're going through at home if they want to. There's no no direct questions about the parents' illness or anything like that, but they do know that they're in a safe space with other campers who understand and counselors who are there to listen. So that's something that's really really special about our camp that they get to talk about things that they normally don't get to talk to. Um, that they
3: don't normally talk about at home. And can you give us an idea how long has the camp been around and what age groups are you working with?
5: Camp Castle National has actually been around since 2000. Um, it was founded at Stanford University and since then has grown to over 100 chapters. Our chapter in particular has been around since 2013 so this will be our fifth year of camp and we serve kids ages 6 through 18. So kids 6 through 16 are campers, and then 17 to 18 year olds actually are part of our counselor and training program. So they take on a little bit more responsibility and leader. They learn some leadership skills while they're there, so that um, when if they go to college and their that college has a chapter of Camp counseling, they're able to participate as a counselor. They're able to be a, cam- a camper and they go on to be a counselor and see both sides of the experience and help help kids who you know they can relate to
3: is that how the counselors get involved that or uh, just like yourself did you come from the school because you're interested in this because maybe of your particular major
5: i would say it's a, a lot of our volunteers just um have a passion for giving back not there it's not a requirement for you to be impacted by a pa- parent's cancer at all i would say that a majority of our counselors um don't have that experience but we do have counselors who have been impacted in the same way. And for me personally, I lost my dad when I was 14. It wasn't to cancer, but um, I felt that I would be able to relate to the kids on a certain level, you know, going through something difficult at a young age. I think that that was initially what inspired me to get involved, but the biggest thing for our counselors is that it it doesn't really matter if you're able to understand, you just have to be there to listen. And the kids know that, and they appreciate that. And we're very, you know, upfront with them about that. They know that we don't all come from the same the same background.
3: Speaking of backgrounds, as far as children um, who might be interested in going, as as you said, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with cancer. Are there any kind mm-hmm. of, let's say, a child has some disabilities? Um, mm-hmm. Is it faith based? Can you give us a little bit of an idea who? Might be interested aside from the cancer aspect.
5: Well, our our camp only serves children who have been impacted by a parent's cancer. So once um, parents have been an application online, it goes through Camp Kessel Nationals, and the staff there will approve it. So they do have to have a parent or a guardian um, impacted by cancer. So we do have some campers who maybe it was their grandparent who was their primary guardian, and they. Um, they had cancer and so they would be allowed to come to Camp Kesem and then um, beyond that we, we take campers that do have special needs or disabilities and um, the only requirement for that is that we're able to accommodate everything that they, that they need. So Camp Kesem national staff determines that, Make sure that we have um, the right people on staff and, and anything else we might need to accommodate that specific camper but all of our campers do have a parent that has been impacted.
3: Camp Kesem is also not a day camp. It's a sleepaway camp, mm-hmm. correct?
5: Yes, it's a sleepaway camp. It's, um, it's a week long. So this year our camp will be from August 13th to August 18th at Camp Chenawanda in Thompson, PA.
3: That's bringing it into Northeast Pennsylvania. Is this the first time? Mm-hmm. And can you give us a little bit of an overview of what that camp will be like?
5: This, is, this will be our second year at Camp Chenawanda. Um, Camp Kesem doesn't actually have um, their own campsite so all of the chapters that are run by student leaders those students will go out and tour different campsites and find out which one's going to work best for them and then we rent it for the week. So this will be our second year there. It is a beautiful campsite. Um, it has all of the space we need for all of our activities. There's a lake. Um, the cabins are really really beautiful and we love the staff there so it's been a great experience and that's why we're going back again this year.
3: So if someone is listening and they would like to find out more about getting their child involved, how would they go about doing that? And is there a
5: cost? You can register a camper at um, org. That will take you to the application page. And if you want to register for our chapter in, in particular, you can go to um, kesim.org slash central PA, and that'll take you the general information page all about our chapter and there's also a link to register a camper as well so it's completely free for any qualifying families and um i would absolutely encourage you to register your child for for this week of camp because i've heard from so many parents already that it really has changed their child's life Peyton, anything that you would like to add
3: or just let our listeners know that maybe i forgot to ask you about
5: i would say that we 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 have done really, really great with fundraising this year. Our, our fundraising goal was $95,000, and we've surpassed that. Um, so we are fully able to accommodate 120 campers, and right now we're at about 90. So we have these spots open. We just need the kids. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to email us. Our email is centralpa at and we'd be happy to answer any questions you may have and walk you through the application process.
3: Do you have a, a- done date as far as the applications are concerned?
5: Um, we of campers right up until the week before camp.
3: And if you would like to learn more about Camp Kesem, you can check out their website at campkesem.org. That's camp K-E-S-E-M dot O-R-G. The Red Cross is there, and Intercom's Nancy Kamen caught up with the local executive director to find out about what the Red Cross does in disasters.
6: Well, the American Red Cross is uh, certainly a key component when there is a natural disaster, and we had one uh, recently here in northeastern pennsylvania bill goldsworth the executive director of the red cross for northeastern pennsylvania with us good morning, uh, good morning. Bill. how are we doing doing well i Great. guess you had a busy uh, couple of days there after what happened uh back a couple of weeks ago we're talking about the tornado that hit in Wilkesbury township
7: that T- was a very busy couple of days
6: tell us uh, about what happened in the you know time preceding that event and what it was that you had to do on the ground there
7: we had some notification, obviously, just like everyone else did, that it was, we were going to get some bad storms. Uh, but once it turned into a tornado, we were uh, we were on scene within an hour. We got notified by the Luzerne County EMA uh, of the disaster that struck. And we went to the staging area uh, with all the other fire departments and emergency personnel. And we staged with them and got finally went, got down by the area on Monday Street. And we set up our uh, a feeding station as we call it for all of the first responders
6: right now uh, first of all your impressions driving there seeing uh, the devastation you know as the uh, emergency crews are responding
7: I've seen I've been a lifelong resident here of, of, the, of Wyoming Valley and I've seen a lot of devastation a lot of storms a lot of floods I've never seen anything like that first on scene uh, like I said we were there within the hour it was just amazing and and obviously the first thing was the first responders trying to go in to make sure that everyone was safe uh so there were search and rescue teams were out there and it, it the devastation of the buildings i mean really it was truly an eye-opener
6: how many emergency responders were there i know you probably don't have an exact number but we've heard that there were dozens and dozens oh, of different departments
7: oh my i i i, I told the various people in the american red cross i when i got first on scene to the staging area There was just fire trucks, ambulances, police personnel. There had to be minimum, well over 50 units there on scene uh, waiting for... know the the orders of where we were going to go and where we were going to start the proceedings of search and rescue.
6: And for uh, the American Red Cross there's so many different things that you do um, so you got to figure out as you said they're looking to see if there's people who are hurt so you've got to be thinking about is this going to be something where in addition to feeding and taking care or shelter um, are you going to need to worry about blood or other kinds of issues as well?
7: Yes we have a lot of issues that we we deal with that we could handle for the first responders, uh, obviously. Again, the canteening, but then if there is mass casualties or even even deaths involved, you know, we we have other personnel that we would bring in from various areas of our region. Uh, our region goes from Philadelphia up to here, and we have trained personnel for every stage that we would need. You know, if if we do need counselors, we have counselors. You know, we have we have first aid people that we bring in. We do have, uh, again, sheltering, as you mentioned, you know, if that's the case. And in this case, you know, since it was a business area, we didn't think we were going to need the sheltering area, uh, which is true. But we were worried about mass casualties. and. Uh, we're, we were very fortunate in our area that this tornado, which never happens that night, happened that night. You know, happened that
6: night and happened in an yeah. area which probably had more people in it than you would have seen in another area.
7: Oh, my. Yeah, that, that would have been terrible if it happened two or three hours earlier. It, we don't know what we could have been dealing with.
6: A lot of people talk about that because of the fact that uh, some of the you know restaurants would have been full if it had just been two hours earlier. So oh. fortunate in that respect.
7: Absolutely. Uh, and and just you know the restaurants full of people shopping, people in their cars driving up and down Monday Street, you know in the parking lots.
6: Because we saw cars that had actually just been tipped over, or debris that had you know gone onto the cars.
7: One site, one visual that I'll never forget was uh, right in front of the Nissan dealership. There was a vehicle that was on its roof, and it was undistinguishable. You could not tell what it was. It was so badly damaged. Uh, which was amazing. Every, everyone took pictures of that car. It was like, what is it?
6: I remember there's, there's also the picture of the chair from one of the restaurants <sighs> in the roof, the side of the building, yes. like embedded into that building.
7: Oh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff everywhere.
6: Uh, and we, we were lucky, very fortunate that there were, uh, you know, just minor injuries at Absol- that time. Absolutely. How many and, of you from the Red Cross were on the ground there when you first responded? Was it just yourself, or did you have a whole crew? Uh,
7: we had a whole crew. We, we dispatched our whole crew. We were out. Uh, there was probably about 10 Red Cross volunteers there. Um, remember, Red Cross is all volunteers, and uh, we notified volunteers that we had an incident, and they came out, uh, as always, um, and our trained personnel were there to set up the canteening. Uh, get the food, get the coffee, and get everything ready for the first responders. And I do have to say, the the community in general was phenomenal in coming out with donations of food and drinks and you know water, Gatorade. Uh, the whole community, and and I mean businesses and individuals. I mean, throughout the next couple of days, people were just showing up with like a case of water out of the trunk of their car and. Uh, businesses were calling me saying, "Hey, what do you need?" And it was—it actually got to the point where we did not need any more because we had too
6: much. You know, things are going well when you have to say thank you so much, but we're we're set for a few days here. Yeah, <laughs> it would be nice uh, to know though while we're talking about this for people now. Uh, that's wonderful, and people talk about the valley with a heart, but donations are always accepted because then you're prepared the next time something should happen.
7: Absolutely, you know, when we first got on scene, obviously we had our own supplies. And uh, we're always looking for donations. We're always looking for volunteers. Uh, In an incident like that, there is a time, though, that we we really prefer people to call us and say, hey, what do you need, rather than just showing up with something. Because when you show up with food or water, I mean, we may have – 50 cases of water there already, and we'll never use it for that incident.
6: And we also didn't need vehicles in the area or people because we didn't know if it was safe yet.
7: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The gas company was there a long time helping uh, just diffuse the gas leaks and take care of that incident.
6: Despite the fact that we also had people rubbernecking, you know, on the roads, which created another unsafe situation because it was people were blown away. I I don't, not a good word to use, but truly uh, stunned when they saw the level of destruction. Absolutely. Driving by.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the one good thing anymore with social media, I mean, a lot of the firemen, a lot of the, I mean, even even some of our Red Cross volunteers, we were posting pictures and so people could see what it was like and hopefully keep them away from the scene to say, look, this is what we're dealing with. Stay away. Right. Uh, you know, and sometimes that works. Sometimes it
6: doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, let's talk about when people do donate because I was uh, looking online and it seems when you talk about every dollar that you get. I saw where it said 91 cents of every dollar actually goes directly to helping people on the ground, which is a phenomenal number.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. And Over 91 cents of every dollar donated goes back to services provided to uh, clients in, in need. And a- as you know, the Red Cross, it's, we don't only respond to tornadoes. Uh, we respond to house fires, any kind of structure fires where the fire department calls us in so we could assist those that are involved um, you know, with their homes. Uh, we put them up in hotels if need be. We provide them food, clothing, and we take care of those individuals in that respect. And and, and of course, tornadoes, floods, we're always there. We're, we're there whenever needed.
6: And you're not only there for stuff that happens here in Northeast Pennsylvania, but sometimes we have seen larger disasters elsewhere where you guys may be called in to help out somewhere else in the country.
7: Yeah, absolutely. We, we, our volunteers are just an amazing group of people, you know. And uh, and I should say, you know, we're always looking for volunteers. And if you want to volunteer, you could stay locally. Or you can put your name in to be one of those that goes across the country to the California wildfires, for example. We've had people out there. And it, it's, an, it, it's a select group that really want to go on what we call deployments to go help other people in the areas. Um, and, and I have to say, like, for example, last year during the, the hurricane's uh, we had one family that uh, husband and wife they were planning a two-week vacation cross-country trip in an RV, and the day before the hurricanes happened, and they canceled their trip and decided to go to Texas. Wow! To help people. So it right. is a
6: labor of love.
7: Absolutely, it is. So, Absolutely. So you
6: can volunteer. You could stay here and help out. You can also volunteer and be on a list to also help out elsewhere. Yes. And you're always looking for volunteers. Now, also the Red Cross is uh, instrumental in if you want to get certified for first aid, CPR. Yes. Uh, so you can do that, too, because some companies will do that, and it's good for them for insurance purposes as well and obviously to help co-workers should an emergency happen.
7: Absolutely. It's a great benefit to offer your employees because, uh, God forbid, someone needs medical assistance right away. If you've had your employees trained by us, by the Red Cross, they're there to assist, and they could help that individual until professionals get on scene. But, yes, we offer first-aid classes, CPR classes, uh, We even offer uh, babysitting training classes, which is a real popular one in our area. And um, they're offered either at your company or you can go to a community site. For example, at our Red Cross building, we offer classes a couple days a week. And again, that's all posted on redcross.org or by calling 1-800-RED-CROSS and going into the training section.
6: That's that's really key because I know people who would want child care or babysitter and it's so nice to be able to say they were certified you know Absolutely. to be able to take care of a child should something occur um also i know you guys do lifeguard uh, lifeguard certification Life, as well yes swimming. lifeguard
7: training lifeguard certifications and again that's a specialized class and they're, they're not obviously run as often mm-hmm. usually we we partner with a county or a uh, a ymca to run programs like that um but they, they are available and they're Training is provided by us at the Red Cross.
6: If we can just talk a little bit with Summer here, um, some of the things to be concerned with swimming. Uh, we always worry about that. Unfortunately, we always hear tragedies. We've heard one a couple just recently. Uh, so uh, just some tips for people when they are with the kids out swimming.
7: Be safe. Uh, make sure your children have their their floaties on and their uh, approved life, uh, life jackets and um, always keep an eye on them. Don't. It it only takes a split second for someone to drown.
6: Yeah, Uh, that's what's really scary is to think. I've seen it when I go to to the beach, go away for the beach, and you see a child in the surf, parents turn around for a second. I I can't tell you how many times I go and watch somebody else come and run and, you know, get their kid up.
7: Absolutely. Like I say, it only takes a split second. You've got to keep an eye on children, especially young children at all times. Uh, At the beach, it's very crucial because of the undertoes and everything else. To really watch children, younger children, um, it could affect anybody at the beach. It could affect you or I at the beach, the, the undertows, And uh, the beach could be very dangerous at times. Uh, in swimming pools, again, if there's no lifeguards there, you got to keep an eye on children. You cannot leave them alone.
6: And we have 4th uh, of July. People will be playing with, uh, you know, fireworks and other things, especially now with the new uh, regulations where they can buy some of these larger and more dangerous uh, items. So any tips on how to stay safe?
7: stay away from them
6: leave it to the <laughs> professionals leave, leave,
7: leave it to the professionals go see a good show somewhere and uh, watch the professionals do it but there are a lot of people that will be buying fireworks i'm sure and it's let the adults do it at least don't don't let children you know, i i've even seen and heard of children getting burned by sparklers you know everyone thinks oh they're harmless they're not. They still burn you.
6: They're throwing fire. Exactly.
7: They still burn you.
6: <laughs> All right. So we talked about so many great things that the American Red Cross does. So for folks out there who either want to volunteer or get information on how they can help, donate, because, again, why wait for a tragedy to happen? You can be prepared when it does. How could they uh, get in touch with you or donate? Yes.
7: Yeah, so you could you could donate or get in touch with us by going on online, redcross.org, calling 1-800-RED-CROSS, or we have local offices in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and Hazleton. You could stop by the office or just call the local office at 570-823-7161, and we could direct you in any direction. Uh, volunteers, we always need you. We train you. Don't think, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. We train you. We, we provide all the training necessary. And, again, you could stay local, or if you want to be deployed, you could be deployed. And we also need volunteers, even to to sit at the desk in our offices and answer telephones. So it's not that you have to get something real hard to do. You know, we we pack the truck with water and and snacks for the firemen.
6: So you, everybody has a talent that can be absolutely.
7: Used. We could always use everyone for something.
6: Thank you so much for everything you did during the uh, tornado and everything you do all year long. Oh,
7: well, thank you very much, and we appreciate all the support from our community and from from you you guys here at the station. Uh, It's always great to work with you. Thank you.
6: Bill Goldsworth, the Executive Director of the American Red Cross for Northeastern Pennsylvania.
3: Here on Special Edition, Intercom's Jeff Walker and Amanda caught up with PennDOT.
8: Jump with Jeff Walker and Amanda. So a lot of people are going to be driving, and our friends at PennDOT love to come in and fill us full of wonderful safety tips. I can't wait to hear what Michael S. Toludo has for us this time.
2: Well, welcome. Well,
1: this time welcome. I'm oh, welcome. He's, he's ready to go. Oh, my God. I'm welcoming them.
8: <laughs> Michael S. Toludo. Yes, this what? time we have both safety because boat safety because it's going to be hot out this it week, is couple going days to be very and people hot. are going to be near water. Everyone wants to be near, near water. So if you're out on a boat this this week, make sure you do not drink and drive that boat. That's our key fact because um Are you boat, serious? Yes. The oh, boat okay. commission, yeah. the boat commission will be out <laughs> tracking for boat DUIs. Boat DUIs. Wait, did you not
6: know that was the thing?
8: I know it I was being sarcastic because <laughs> nobody with a boat ever would think to drink and and boat of course they do. He's telling them don't drive the boat right mm-hmm. right because they could okay. get her the boat and drink away right because the game uh, the, the, the boat commission can be out there and mad and... to shaking her head, but if you have a boat like you're not going to drink
6: on it please no, you you are supposed to have a designated driver for it.
8: Michael, I'm going to talk to you strictly. Go right ahead. Right. You should have, right, like you said, there's somebody. you should have someone designated driver. Yeah. Make sure you have your life vests on and play it safe. That, we right. want everybody to be safe if you're driving to wear your seatbelt and do not text and drive. All right. So. Okay, we've got land and water covered. Now, James E. May is here.
1: Let me just take the opportunity to welcome (laughs) you as well to the studio. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's good to have
8: you you here with me this afternoon. Well, it's great. It's great that we're all here now and officially welcomed in.
1: Do you know that if you work
6: at PennDOT, you have to use your full name, including your middle initial? James
8: E. May, Michael S. Toludo. Yep. So you have some exciting news, and I'm serious about
1: this. You're going to tell us something that's going to make drivers in Northeast PA very happy. Well, it's one of those good news, bad news. The good news is there's some great things coming. The bad news is this still is the government, and it's still going to take a while to get it Uh completely done. So we are starting this summer. We have crews that are out right now doing some scoping on Interstate 81 between the Lackawanna-Luzerne County line and the concrete section up near Dunmore, you know, where you hit it and it starts feeling like your tires are bouncing. Yeah, okay. yeah. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. So from from that concrete section it's like down an to this, I can't keep pulling over. and say, yeah. "What's happening? I got a flat tire again." On my way to work every morning. I like the way it feels to be honest. Of course you do. So yes, we feel that same. There's some work taking place on that. that's going to go out this fall. But anyway. What we're looking at doing, we have a scoping team out right now. We're in the process of c- doing a complete renovation, a reconstruction of that section of 81 from the concrete section down to the luzerne County line. In the process of that, we have to maintain two lanes of traffic there while we rip the old road out that was built in the 1950s. And we, So what we do is we build a new lane right next to the old lane, and we put all the traffic over there, and we take one lane out at a time. When you're done with that... You have three lanes, and this is what we've been doing on the bridges here just north of Pittston. That's what we've been doing on the bridges, so we're going to do that same thing on 81, which means... Are
6: you saying 81 is about to become a three-lane highway?
1: don't forget, I I said it's still going to take a while. So this process is starting this summer, Uh and what they have to do, there, there is so much... Involved in this because you might be driving along and there's a bridge that you go under and the piers are right where the new lane le- needs to be, or you might come along in sections where um, there's historical type of, of features. We have to look at the sound walls. You know, at what point are we moving the road too close to other other buildings and houses? So we, do we have to build sound walls? You have to get environmental clearances and right of way, and there's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff involved. But the good news is the process is starting this summer with a scoping team that's going out, and then over the next, I mean, it's probably going to be at least uh, a yeah. number of years until it's done oh, God. but the process uh. is starting
6: and then eventually it'll be left as a three lane yes and
1: so that's the plan that if we went to the feds right now and said we would like to have money to put a third lane on 81 they would say we don't have the money to mm. do that because we have to do the reconstruction they're finding a way to make 81. it happen we're so when a way you to make say it to
8: the Luzerne County line, do you mean the northern, northern Luzerne the County lines? Yeah, no, oh, all, dear not God, all the way. No, it's no, it's no, not not even going to make it down kill.
1: here to Pittston. No but, it, it'll, it'll no, but it'll it'll hit the real busy area right north sex, of here. Like, right north of here, yeah. Like, right north yontage. of here,
8: yeah. Heading north on eighty one every day, uh-huh. without accidents, without construction, it bottlenecks right after the Pittston exit heading north, and I think. I think it's because the music exit is on the left, so people get in the right lane, then they have to get over. That's my theory. And you're looking at me like you
1: don't like this guy's an idiot. Am I totally wrong? <laughs> well, no. There's a lot of things. There's just a lot of traffic there uh, for one. And but it's why of- does
8: it bottleneck
1: there? Well, because you do have the, the merging in and out right there, and there's just – that's where a lot of the cards are coming together. And, and mm-hmm. it's um, sort of, I always say, the analogy of, of a bathtub. If you go in and you turn your, your spigot on uh, you know, at a certain level – the water will just come in and go right down the drain. If you turn it on too hard, what ends up happening is it fills up because the, the drain isn't big enough to, to take all the capacity that's there. So that is what's happening up in that area. You also have other things like the the sun glare. How many times do we hear the the new the, uh, traffic reports on here? And they say, you know, coming around there right now, there's sun glare and usually in the fall time, springtime. So there's a whole bunch of okay. factors, but just too many cars for too little space. So help us on the way. Help and us on the way. And, Over time. And hopefully we will
8: still all be actually working and all when is, is coming to fruition. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. All right. And Michael, you've just bummed everybody out on Harvey's Lake and Lake Wall and for the weekend ahead. They're all putting their alcohol away now.
1: Well, uh, that's up to them, but they got to be careful. All right. Just think it through ahead of time. Make sure that you, you think through even how am I going to get this boat home after I get out there on the water and have a little bit too much to drink.
3: Intercom's Frank Andrews has details on the Commonwealth Foundation.
2: On the line with us right now is Elizabeth Stell. She is the Director of Policy Analysis for the Commonwealth Foundation. Elizabeth, thanks for taking time out to talk with us.
9: Oh, it's my pleasure, Frank. Thanks for having us on.
2: Tell, tell people just briefly what the Commonwealth Foundation is, what you folks do.
9: Sure. Uh, well, our business of Pennsylvania is a place where all people have equal opportunity to pursue their dreams and earn their own success. And so we try to create that by taking free market ideas and turning them into public policies and hopefully laws that are going to make lives better for all Pennsylvanians.
2: Now, you guys are kind of like a watchdog for a lot of a lot of stuff. I'm looking at some of the issues that the Commonwealth Foundation deals with Pennsylvania state budget, spending limits, school choice, welfare, criminal justice. There's lots of uh, liquor store privatization. So you are you are on top of all the big issues that we talk about here. But this one grabbed my attention. Is your school district hoarding cash? Could you please explain what the heck this reserve is? (laughs) (laughs) your your giggle kind of suggests a lot
5: (laughs) yeah
9: i mean this is a really interesting phenomenon that most people probably aren't familiar with but really affects especially your your local property taxes and major decisions that are going on in terms of education funding Uh, across pennsylvania have reserve funds that they can use for a variety of purposes and it makes a lot of sense to have a rainy day fund, um, you know, some protection against uncertainty, but some of these reserve funds are now reaching the, the limits where we're starting to ask, okay, is it more of a rainy day fund or a sofa taxpayers fund? Um, So we did an analysis of all 500 school districts, looking at how much they have in reserve funds. And what we found is that the reserves have been growing pretty steadily, hundred and forty three percent in growth since 2005 and a couple districts are very concerned to us because they not only have large reserve funds in terms of dollar figures but their reserve funds are more than twenty percent of their spending and the um auditor general said mm, more than twenty percent you have to start asking are they being responsible or are they keeping resources out of the classroom that should be going to the kids?
2: Well, you know, the, the first response that we've we, we've gotten when I started talking about this is, how could they possibly raise taxes if they've got you know a million, two million, five million dollars in reserve? I mean, is there a reason to have a reserve fund?
9: yeah i think so um i i think it makes sense again to have some sort of protection against uncertainty um but there are other um some districts have um, you know building projects they pay for building projects these reserve funds and there's lots of other things that they save for but they don't always designate what that money's for so this is really a call for each of us to look at the numbers for our own district and and reach out to our members and say hey you have you know in some cases 10 um you know 50 million dollars reserve funds can you tell me why and if they can't explain to taxpayers um then you know that there needs to be some changes made every uh, district is going to have a unique situation but one these numbers are just so large that it, it really begs the question um you know why that's necessary
2: elizabeth i know I'm, I'm bugging you on a cell phone you're breaking up a little bit are you driving or are you uh are you stopped somewhere
9: Oh, I'm not driving, so okay. I'm sorry if my my broken up a little bit. Just so you know, if I, if you missed
2: me. Okay, now I want to ask you this: in our area, which is uh, you know Lackawanna, Luzerne, Wyoming, Wayne, Pike, Susquehanna County, Columbia County, there are a lot of school districts that are in the negative. Does that instantly suggest long-term tax hikes?
9: I think that's a fair bet <laughs> I, I mean who knows what's gonna happen right um but that's kind of the other end of the spectrum um but there's a you know a lack of um planning ahead um but there are even even given that situation there are a couple of examples of district senior um in in your area relatively speaking that do have some pretty large reserves and east stroudsboro area comes to mind they have reserves that are 40 percent of their spending um you're talking 57 almost 58 million dollars
2: and that's east um, stroudsburg
9: so mhm wow yeah that's third in the state in terms of dollars so uh, you know it, you want to have you want to have something in the middle you don't want to have the extreme of very large reserve funds, you know, money that's being with help from the kids, and you don't want to have a situation, you know, like Scranton, where you're, you're so far um, underfunded um, that everything is in the red. So this is really, I think, um, a call for transparency and accountability from local school boards
2: to their taxpayers. Now, I'm looking alphabetically in our area. Abington Heights School District looks to me like they're negative $51,000, which is a very small number. But that suggests that there's not much cushion in case of an emergency, right? Sure, absolutely. And
9: like I said, uh, while while there are a lot of districts that are concerning to us, it's not every single district about half of the 500 districts have very large reserves over the 20% figure. So yeah, there are certainly a lot of districts that are on the other end of the spectrum where they need to have some reserve funds, some cushion. And I think this is all really an outgrowth of our four funding formula at the state level. Um, we do not do, we do not do a good job of making sure that the funding follows the kid. Um, our funding formula is based on really outdated enrollment numbers. So that certainly needs to be addressed, and that's one of the issues that we've raised in Harrisburg.
2: Now, Elizabeth, uh, I just got to ask you this because it's a real hot spot up here. Uh, do you, does the Commonwealth Foundation have any position on uh, property tax elimination? Uh, House Bills 76, Senate Bill 76?
9: Somehow, Frank, I knew you were going to get around to that. Um, yeah, our position is basically that the high property taxes are really a symptom of a larger problem. And that larger problem is our, our pension liabilities. Uh, we did have some substantial pension reform last summer, but we still need more because we have a pension liability that's over $70 billion. Uh, so that's really the driver behind the higher property taxes. And until you tackle that pension problem, you're going to continue to see pressure for higher school taxes, whether that's property tax, sales tax, income tax, whatever form of tax it is, you're going to continue to see those same pressures on school districts. So we're really focused on addressing, you know, the the core um, issue rather than what we feel is a a symptom uh, of the problem people are experiencing.
2: Okay. But, you know, the question is the pension, the pension issue is like, like climbing Mount Everest. What's the solution to that?
9: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is tough. Um, there are no easy answers. Um, but I think it's important to note that Governor will vetoed pension reform when we sent it to him in 2015. He let it go in 2017. So that's tremendous progress in two years. So I don't think it's impossible. Um, it's not going to be easy, but it's not impossible. And this is just one uh, area where we have immense financial challenges in Pennsylvania. And um, you know that's why organizations like commonwealth exists so that we can move the ball forward in these areas that seem impossible but are essential to making sure that we have a pennsylvania where people can you know afford to stay in their own homes and, and we can attract families and we can grow our population again
2: good enough elizabeth thanks for taking time to talk with us how do people get in touch with the commonwealth foundation
9: Well, you can find us on the web at CommonwealthFoundation.org. CommonwealthFoundation.org slash reserves takes you straight to our research on um, full reserve funds. And we're also on Facebook, and you can also find us on Twitter. Our handle is Liberty, the number 4PA.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Elizabeth Stell from the Commonwealth Foundation. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories.